give us a thank you for all the trees that we have to breathe and everything you gave us for free. Thank you, God, for all the wonderful things you've done for our life. Thank you for guiding Joshua. Dear Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your love and your grace for us. God, Father we God, pray. I just ask that you be with the Vogel family as they navigate uh, what this means for Dear them. God, and Lord, I just ask for the courage uh, to be with Father God. It's in Jesus' name. Good morning, church. Hope everybody is doing well today, and I equally hope that you have enjoyed uh, this series that we've been doing on the Lord's Prayer. I know that I've really enjoyed digging in each week and, and seeing what it is that God reveals to me, what, what Jesus meant at the heart of this prayer. And the reason we're doing this series is for one reason, because we believe that to follow Jesus like he called us to follow him, it means doing life the way he did life. And one of the things he did is that he connected with his father regularly. And so that's why we believe here at Patrick Creek that followers of Jesus connect with God daily. And even when I use that term, connect with God, that can kind of seem like a little ambiguous. Like, what does that look like? Well, there's a couple ways we know that that can look like in your life and mine. One way is that we connect with God through his word. God has revealed through the scriptures who he is, the kind of life he desires for us, and the abundance and joy that can be ours when we live our life according to God's standards. But another way that we can connect with God is through what we call prayer, right? And that's why Jesus, one day when his disciples saw him praying, they saw something very distinct, very unique about the prayer life of Jesus, and they hungered for it. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus, what he does not do, he does not tell his disciples what to pray. Because he knows that we, being a people who can be subject to religiousness and legalism, we would just pray that exact what, what, what every time. So he says, I'm not going to tell you the what. I'm going to tell you the how. I'm going to tell you the characteristics that should kind of surround your prayer life, okay? I'm going to give you the skeleton, and you put the meat onto it, he says. And the first thing Jesus says that when you talk to the creator God, you first and foremost address him as what? As father. Because he's not a power, he's a person. He's not a force, he's a father. So just like a child who loves his dad wants to talk to a father who loves his child, you make sure, that's the mentality, that's the nature of how you approach the cosmic creator God, that he's your father and he wants to hear from you. But on top of that, he said, recognize that even though he's your father and wants to relate to you that way, you recognize that he is in heaven, that your father is large and in charge. Because when you pray to a God, to a father who you know does not know the word impossible, that he can do anything and everything he wishes. That is what's going to energize your prayer life. And he says, whenever you have that vision of God that's diminished, that you don't acknowledge that he can do everything, that you do, don't acknowledge that he is your father, when that vision of God diminishes, so will your hope. So today we're going to continue, continue on to the next part that Jesus talks about. From Matthew 6, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, say the rest with me, 
hallowed be your name. When's the last time you used the word hallowed? Probably not very recently, right? Because it's a word, even though it's in the English language, it's just not a word that we use very often. But you know what hallowed means? It means to make holy. It means to, to set apart, to make distinct, to make different, to be altogether different. It means to consecrate something. It means to make something sacred. You know what the opposite of holy is? It would mean to profane something. To profane something means to make it common, ordinary. It means to treat it irreverently or disrespectfully. And here's what Jesus is doing. When he says, hallowed be your name, okay, he, he, he is not just saying what is true. He is also making a petition. All right? Here's what I mean. To say that God's name is hallowed, Jesus says, does not need our prayer. Because God's name is hallowed whether we pray for it or not. Amen? And that God's name is exalted above every other name in the world. Here's what Jesus means, though. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you're not just declaring what is, but you are praying for a future where the rest of the world acknowledges and they affirm and they recognize what is already true, that God, your name is great and is exalted. May the rest of the world come to that conclusion that that's who you are. Now, here's the gut punch for the day, okay? Whether or not God's name is hallowed largely depends upon you and me. So in order for us this morning to see the significance of this prayer, we've got to understand something about the name Jesus is referring to here. So let's clarify something. In the Eastern culture in which Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, they viewed names completely different than we view them today. A name was more than just something you called somebody. A name revealed something about someone's character, about their, their reputation. It revealed something about their essence of who they were. All right? That's not true today in our Western culture. Names don't really mean a whole lot to us. Case in point, my name is Solomon. What does that tell you about me? Nothing. Was there something that was very inherent about me when I was born, that, my, that I had a kind of Solomon-ness about me that my parents said, we got to name him Solomon, like there's no other choice? No, I could have easily just have been Fred or Frank or Charlie, right? Or even look at the name of our church, Bachelor Creek Church, Right? What does that tell you about our church? I mean, it tells you that we are a church. It also tells you that we have a bent towards single men and streaming bodies of water, right? Doesn't really tell you a whole lot. But not so in the Eastern culture, not so in Old Testament world. In Old Testament world, a name revealed something about you, about your character, about who you were or who you hoped to be. Just like we find that when certain people in Scripture had an encounter with God, and it was a life-changing encounter, what happened as a result of that many times? Do you remember? God would say, what? You got a new name. 
You were once this, but now you're going to be this. Because your life was once about that, but now your life is going to be about this because I've got a new mission for you. Over and over again in Scripture, we find people in Old Testament and New Testament, they got their name changed because their name carried a lot of weight to it. So let me warn you right now, we're going to be doing a lot of digging over the next 10, 12 minutes, okay? But I promise there's a treasure to be had. So I need you to stay alert, stay focused, because I'm making my case, and we're going to get to where I want to get to, all right? But I need you to stay with me. To stay with me means that we've got to go all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, where God has spoke to Moses, and he says, Moses, I'm going to single you out as my man who's going to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And he and God have this kind of back and forth conversation. And Moses has some concerns about why are you choosing me and what if this and what if that. And here's one of the what ifs that Moses has. Exodus 3.13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, Moses isn't asking, God, if you had a business card, what would it say on the front of it? What do you want to be addressed by? That's not what he's asking. Here's what he's asking from God. God, reveal something to me about your nature, your character, your reputation, your essence. Tell me what name I'm supposed to use. Because where did Moses grow up? Do you remember where he grew up? In Pharaoh's court in Egypt. And in Pharaoh's court, there was this plurality of gods and goddesses. And all these gods and goddesses, they had their given names showing you how they would function. So to know the name of a god or goddess, you understood what they would do. Were they the god of fertility? Were they the god of the underworld? Were they the god of weather? What is it that was revealed in their name? So Moses says, when I go to tell these people... The God of your ancestors wants to deliver you. What name am I supposed to use? God answers him. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. First name, I am. Middle name, who? Last name, I am. There it is right there. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am am has sent me to you now what's interesting this phrase this name i am who i am comes from a hebrew word meaning to exist so moses says god who am i supposed to tell him has sent me god says here's what you tell him god says in response to all the other pretender gods and goddesses of egypt I actually exist. I'm real. I am the one true divine essence of all that is or all that ever will be. It's me. The one who really exists. Lots of truth in that name. Lots of mystery in that name. But we continue. Verse 15. God also said to Moses... Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, not only does God reveal to his people his essence of who he is, he attaches a commandment to his name. One that we're all familiar with. We've seen it on plaques. We've seen it on billboards. We've seen it in the Bible over and over. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and what we would call the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What this means here, don't carry the name of God in an empty way. Don't use the name of God in an empty way. Don't profane the name of God and attach something empty and meaningless and irreligious and disrespectful to the name of God. Now here's what we do in our day and time. Because we're not really clear on the whole name thing, and again, because we have this bent toward legalism and religiousness, here's what we've reduced this to. Plain and simple. When you smash your hump with your thumb with a hammer, don't yell out the name Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we've reduced it to, right? Isn't that what most of us were taught? Just make sure whatever you do when something happens, don't use God's name with a curse word. But I assure you, friends, it is so much deeper and wider and broader than that. And we're getting there. So God gives Moses his name, and then he commands all the Israelites not to use his name in an empty way. And then we're going to see through these various scriptures coming up that God connects his name to a multitude of things for one singular purpose. Let's go. Exodus 23, 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him. Listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. So God's name can rest on someone besides God. Would you agree? Agree? Yes, right here. God says, he is coming in my name. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Now we see that the name of God can actually dwell in a place. And then in Micah 4, 5. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So here, the name of God is attached to a way of living. So God's name can be attached to a person. It can be attached to a dwelling place. It can be attached to a way of living. So literally, hear me out this morning, If you are walking in the name of the Lord, what this means is 
you are walking consistent with and in congruity with the purpose of God and the character of God. If you are not walking in a way that is consistent with and congruent with the character and the nature and the purpose of God, what does that mean? You're walking in another name is what this means. So, we're going to see one more thing that God attaches his name to. It's an entire Ezekiel 36, we're going to read this, but before we get there, let me remind you of something. God chose the descendants of Abraham, who later became known as the nation of Israel, not because they were his favorite people, but because they were his chosen people, chosen for a very specific task, a very specific mission in this world, and here's what that mission consisted of. God said to Israel, Israel, I'm going to use you to showcase my goodness to all the other people groups of the world. As you follow me and live for me and experience my blessings, you are going to show the other tribes of the world you're a distinct people because you have a distinct and different God, a God who is unlike any of the pagan and non-existent gods that they worship. And they're going to hunger and they're going to thirst to follow the one true God because of what they see happening in your life. That's the plan. Did things go according to plan? Not necessarily. Because Israel disobeys time and time and time again, God has to discipline them. Part of that discipline looked like this. They would be exiled or taken captive into foreign lands because God's thinking was if you're going to live like pagans, you are going to live among the pagans. And this one particular time, they're taken captive by the Babylonians and God declares what he's going to do. The deliverance from Babylon is on the horizon. I want you to listen to what he says. Listen to the beef that he has against his chosen people. I dispersed them, meaning the Israelites, among the nations, and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their, say it with me, conduct and their actions. The way they were living, the things they were doing, all of it attached to my name, I judged them accordingly to that. And wherever they went among the nations, listen, they profaned my holy name. How'd they profane God's name? Because they yelled out curse words when they hit their thumb with a hammer? No. Here's how. For it was said of them, these are the pagans talking now. These are the Lord's people. These are the one true God's people. And yet they had to leave his land. In other words, the discipline that God had to exact on his people because of their disobedience. 
gave the pagans reason to blaspheme the name of God. These people are no different than us. These people talk no different than us. They act no different than us. Therefore, the conclusion is this. Their God is no different than our God. God puts his name on Israel and says, be holy, be distinct, be separate, be altogether different. Why? Because I'm different. I'm set apart. I'm unique, God says. And let me remind you, church, listen to me. God reveals himself to humanity through a myriad of ways, three primary ways that I understand. One, through creation. The scripture says we can tell by that which is made that there is a creator. Another way God reveals himself is through his written word where he reveals his character, his plan, what has happened and what will happen. The third way that God reveals himself to the world that we live in is through who? The people who bear his That's you. That's me. But he critiques Israel, and he says, you've profaned my name, and you've decreased my reputation in the eyes of the world. You've not lived in a manner that brought me any measure of glory from the surrounding nations, which was the plan from the beginning. So here's what God says. This is what I'm going to do. Therefore, Ezekiel, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake people of Israel. In other words, I'm not doing this because you've earned it or because you're good enough that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. So again, God's name can rest upon a person. God's name can rest upon a dwelling. God's name can rest upon a way of living. God's name can rest and dwell among an entire group of people. And God's people because they did not live up to what God called them to, the life he called them to. You know what it did? It justified the unbelief of the pagan nations. Now, I'm going to pull out the old pastoral two-by-four right now, okay, folks? Are you ready? 1 Peter 4.14. If you... This is New Testament. This is you. This is me. This is the people of Jesus who carry his name. Listen to me. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, any of you ever had that happen? You ever been insulted, mocked, ridiculed, joked about? You ever lost friends? You ever lost something for the cause of Christ? Peter says you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
if you suffer. It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What this means, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been stamped with his name. That carries a huge responsibility in this world because the one objection that our world has to the Christian faith primarily boils down to what? Christians. The hypocrites who act one way in the pew and another way outside the doors of this place. People who carry the name and absolutely obliterate and invalidate everything about that name by the way they live. And as crazy as it sounds, the Father, the God who resides in heaven, has entrusted his reputation to you and to me. And the expectation is this, that the children, over time, should look more like the Father. That the children should care and be more concerned about the reputation of the Father than my own reputation in this world. In fact, here's how Jesus said it. Right before he gave us this prayer in Matthew 6, here's what he says in Matthew 5. Verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our whole vision here at Batcher Creek in a nutshell. Glorifying God through changed lives. That through the ministry of this church, that people in this church would live altogether differently, have altogether different marriages, talk altogether differently, raise their children differently, that it would be so unique and distinct that the people in this community might look at the people who come from this church and say, there's something different about you. Tell me about your God. That they would hunger for that and they would thirst for that because of what we are doing in his name. And all this time, we thought hallowing God's name just meant not cussing when we got hurt, right? Brothers and sisters, who carry the name of the Lord Jesus, the one true living God, how are we Are we causing the name of Jesus to be profaned or enhanced and lifted up and magnified and glorified in the circles in which we find ourselves? When Jesus says here that we should pray that his name should be kept hallowed and holy, that doesn't mean us saying, well, yeah, I just wish that Hollywood would stop cussing using God's name. 
Because the one command that's given for God's name to be hallowed and holy is given to who? The people who bear the name. It's not for those on the outside. It's for those on the inside. It's like Paul said. We don't judge the world because of their sin. The world's going to sin naturally. But those in the church should know better because of the name that we bear. I got a question for you. When did it become acceptable in the church that we can call ourselves followers of Jesus and then live like however we want? Single people. Does the name that you bear in Christ, is that reflected in how you conduct yourself sexually? Do you remember the scripture says, you are no longer your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do we all forget that when we went under that water, there was an exchange that happened? God took my guilt, he took my sin, he took my shame, he took everything that I despised about myself, he took my hopelessness, and he gave me in return for that his name. Is that reflected in my language? Are there words that you would not dare use in this building that you're known for in the other buildings you go to throughout the week? As you bear that name, are you drinking to the point of drunkenness? Looking no more distinct, no more unique than the average Joe on his drunken binge. When you encounter people, how do you treat them? Do you live by the old eye for the eye and tooth for the tooth rule? That's how they live. It's not how people who bear the name live. I guess it boils down to this. If I were to ask your closest friends and family, and you were to ask my closest friends and family, if the word holy describes us as it describes our God, would they laugh? Snicker, yeah, right. There used to be a time, folks, when that's the adjective the church wanted to be known for. But it's become a bad word nowadays. Whatever you do, please don't call me a holy Joe. The last thing I want to be known as is a holy roller. But please don't call me holier than thou. That's interesting. Because the one thing that God says should define us, the one word that should describe us, is the word holy. And we run from it as fast as we can. So, we pray like 2 Thessalonians 1. So we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call.
living a life worthy of the name that we bear. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Listen to this. Then, then, the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of what? Of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. You know what that means, folks? You and I are to be these living, breathing billboards in this world for the goodness of our Father. We're to reflect him, act like him, walk like him, talk like him, respond like him. 24-7. So that when people look at you and me, they might have a hint what God looks like. You know, as a pastor, everywhere I go, I'm very aware that I'm on display. There are people who I don't know from Adam who know that I'm the pastor here at Bachelor Creek. So as a pastor, I have forsaken the privilege of just being anonymous. And I am so thankful for that. Do you know why? Because in that realization, I'm reminded day in and day out that I bear his name. And so something should be different. Something should be distinct. I'm not saying that I always live up to it. I've got feet of clay. I'm going to have times where I wrestle with the flesh and the flesh comes out on top. But what I am saying is this. When other people are rude to me, I'm not afforded the privilege of just being able to be rude right back at them. When I get a snarky email that comes in my inbox, I don't have the privilege of just writing one just a snarky back and hitting the send button. When I'm out somewhere in town getting a meal and I have really, really bad service and the waitress comes up at the end and says, you preach at Bachelor Creek, don't you? I got to trade in my buck 50 tip for six bucks then, Right? Brothers and sisters, repent. We cannot pray, may your name be hallowed, may your name be holy, and then not make ourselves available for that desired end. You know what I wish today? I wish as everybody left today, I could leave you with something. I wish for all the men leaving today, I could leave a ministerial collar, 
And for all the women, I could leave you with a T-shirt that says in really big letters, I love Jesus. And that you were forced to wear that to work tomorrow. Let me ask you this. If you were, would you act differently? Most of us would. And that, friends, is unexcusable. Because the church of Jesus in America I'm convinced, is largely responsible for the hardening of this country's heart toward Jesus. We get fed up because we say, culture's getting too secular. You know why I feel like culture's getting more and more secular? Because the church is getting more and more secular. Can't even tell them apart. We have ceased to bear that name, to keep it hallowed, separate, unique, set apart. We're ready to fly off the handle when we were here, Hollywood, using God's name in a certain way in movies. Well, how offended do you think they are when we claim a name that we don't even live by? There's hope. There's always hope. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says this: If my people, that's you and me, because we bear the name, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God says if you come to me in a spirit of repentance and contrition and acknowledge what you've done with my name I will still accomplish my purposes through you. That's the kind of God we serve folks. And I think that's a God that we need to talk to very seriously right now. So would you join me in a word of prayer? loving Father, your name is above every name. And we pray for a future where the world we live in recognizes and affirms that truth. And Father, we make ourselves available this morning be the ambassadors that you've left in this world to get to that desired end. That your people who bear the name of Christ would look different. Our sexual ethic is different. The way we conduct our marriages is different. The way we raise our children is different. The way we talk is different. The way we spend our money is different. The way we have our hope is different. Pointing to a God who is altogether different from any other material 
or man-based God in this world. I pray, Father, that we'll just be smacked in the face this morning with the ways that we've profaned your name. We've made it ordinary, plain, common, nothing special because of our actions. And you tell us that through our actions that you'll receive the glory that's due to your name. So I pray, Father, we will just repent today of sins that have made a mockery of you. And we will set our feet on a path to be holy and reflect our Father. Move now, Lord, and bring us to a time of repentance and contrition of spirit as we make ourselves available for you to move in us now.